0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thanks for
1: joining me on A Word from the Word. We're now at the tail end of the Advent Christmas season, the home stretch, so to speak, The final week being launched on Sunday, December 18th. It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? Well, have you been able to come through this season unscathed? Able to ward off the commercialized and merchandised version? Or as I now call it, the fake news version? And friends, I'm certainly not implying that you shouldn't buy any gifts. Only that you're exercising care in keeping yourselves from being plagued by and being sucked into the commercial game that is played out each year at this time. Well, today we'll wrap up our series, Christmas, Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth, with our final installment, Part 4, Christmas, God's Search and Rescue Operation. During this Advent season, friends, we've been sitting in the audience, so to speak, and watching as numerous actors and actresses have stepped onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama we've come to cherish as The Christmas Story. We've observed the responses of key characters and participants in this Christmas drama, haven't we? One unlikely actor who is not usually included in the cast is our beloved Apostle Paul. So, friends, in part one, we zoomed in on how that first Christmas profoundly affected this man. He called himself a Pharisee and a Hebrew of Hebrews, and referred to his zealous commitment to the ancestral traditions of his Jewish religion in these words, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, in Philippians 3, six. Yet the entrance into the world of this babe of Bethlehem, as the Messiah and Savior of both Jews and Gentiles, revolutionized and overhauled his entire life. You see, something new was brewing on planet earth. This new thing that God was doing had such a penetrating effect on Paul that we could easily nickname him the ambassador of newness. Paul recognized that the first Christmas signaled a season of newness. Now, Paul's specific contribution to the Christmas script basically takes two sentences in his Galatian letter. One, a concise doxology, and the other, a brief declaration. In Galatians 1, 3-5, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In Part 2, Luke was our scriptwriter and casting director, and we were made privy to the angel Gabriel's first contact with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and shortly after, with Joseph and Mary. From these couples, we compared and contrasted Zechariah's and Mary's responses to something new that was brewing on planet Earth. In Part 3, through Matthew's writing and directing, we were treated to the ultimate Star Trek. On Matthew's stage, our playbill described the wise men and Herod and also gave us a glimpse of the Jewish religious leaders, highlighting all of these responses to something new that was brewing on planet Earth. Thus far, friends, in each installment in this series, in one way or another, we've accentuated the newness aspect of the Christmas drama, and in particular for those who were the very first recipients of the message, the message that signaled that something new was brewing on planet Earth. And each time we've all been challenged to view the Christmas drama not simply as a past event to celebrate, but rather to extract from the scriptures lessons that extend way beyond the immediacy of the first Christmas story itself, lessons we can bring forward in time and apply them to our lives in the here and now, some 2,000 years later, Lessons that include recognizing that we now have new life in Christ, and Christmas should remind us that we are celebrating, among other things, this newness and recognizing that the actors and actresses in the original drama were real people. Movies and paintings, unfortunately, often glamorize these characters. They're sometimes portrayed as people walking around with glowing dishes on their heads or their bodies radiating with a halo around them. But they were real people with real faith, each on their own spiritual journey, each wrestling with God's plan and God's will in their lives, each confronted with something new that was brewing on planet Earth, each responding in their own way. Friends, do we recognize that in each of our lives, God is constantly working, ending old things and beginning new things? trying to nudge us gently to put to death old ways and be open to the renewing of our minds and in so doing being open to spiritual transformation and growth. You see, friends, God is definitely not into same old, same old. God is not into dead routines. Remember Second Corinthians five seventeen: If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This quote is still a zinger when I hear it. The difference between tradition and traditionalism is, Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. Friends, 2023 is almost here. The message of Advent at Christmas is the message of expectation, anticipation, longing, and fulfillment. Let me tell you, friends, with what's been going on in the last year and a half in and for the church, the body of Christ, I fear God has been attempting to nudge the church into something new, calling us to operate differently, calling us to make some changes But my fear, friends, is that we're not really listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It seems to me that we've just been waiting for things to go back to the way they once were. After all, that's where we're most comfortable, aren't we? But shame on us, because change is too unsettling, too disrupting. Friends, the quintessential questions that this season of Advent is crying out for answers is, Are we responding like Joseph? Remember, Joseph was the one who accepted new direction, new leading from God. Joseph's response to the new move of God in his life is recorded in Matthew 1.24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Are we responding like the chief priests? Remember, they were indifferent to new direction, new leading, a new move of God. Their non-response is recorded in Matthew 2, 3-6, when they quoted Micah 5, 2, but didn't go to see the newborn king. Or are we responding like Herod? Remember, Herod rebelled against and rejected the new move of God. Herod's response to the new move of God is recorded in Matthew 2.16. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Like Herod, are we paranoid and insecure? Do we lack faith and vision to see a move of God when it comes? Must we have control over the church when Jesus said, I will build my church? By saying that, Jesus meant that he would not build our church. By saying that, Jesus meant that we would not be building his church. So, are we responding like Zechariah? As a spiritually seasoned leader, Zechariah still lacked faith and vision for a new move of God. Remember the angel Gabriel's judgment against Zechariah, recorded in Luke one nineteen and 20? I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Friends, is the Spirit speaking to our churches, bringing fresh news, a new way of doing church, and we do not have ears to hear and therefore are not believing his words? Or how about are we responding like Mary and the wise men? Mary's response to the new move of God in her life is recorded in Luke one thirty-eight. After the angel Gabriel delivered the news, she responded, I am the Lord's servant, May it be to me as you have said. And the wise men's response to the new move of God is recorded in Matthew 2, 1 through 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These pagan astrologers thirsted for more information, thirsted for more guidance. What about our thirst for more information, our thirst for more guidance? Well, friends, today in part four, let's peer through the eyes of the Apostle John in his gospel and view the Christmas drama from his vantage point. To do this, we'll need to sample several statements in John chapters one and three. So let's listen in as John's script unfolds. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him.' He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John's Christmas story in one sentence, friends. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, "'Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again.' "'How can someone be born when they are old?' Nicodemus asked. "'Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born.' Jesus answered, "'Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit.' For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever is believing in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Friends, the Christmas story we all cherish so dearly is tolerated by people in the world because they have chosen to relegate it to history past they all merely celebrate an event that occurred some 2,000 years ago, and they're content to leave it there in the past. By relegating the Christmas story to the past, it remains at a safe distance. This way it can be celebrated, and at the same time its implications for the present and future life become non-existent. And in the process, accountability to the revelation of the Christmas truth becomes nullified, but one fact is often overlooked by people in the world and if we're not careful we as christ followers just might overlook the same fact and that is this friends the christmas drama is not merely a historical truth the historicity of christmas is only half of the equation The other half is the fact that the Christmas drama is also a spiritual truth. In other words, a theological truth. You see, friends, intertwined in and inseparable from the Christmas drama is the reason for the season. Back in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the Christian retailers and merchandisers popularized the slogan, Jesus is the reason for the season. And and that's an okay slogan. It's true, and it has a catchy ring to it. But there's a more important truth that is somewhat obscured by that slogan and overlooked by those mainstream secular Christmas carols. So I propose to you that sin is the reason for the season. What?! Yes, friends, sin is precisely that half of the Christmas equation that the world consciously avoids, obscures, and rejects because sin has a direct tie-in to the spiritual or theological truth of the Christmas drama. Well, let's pause here for just a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I want to take a moment and let you know how valuable you are as listeners to A Word from the Word. This program is 100% listener supported. Your financial partnership is essential to helping keep this program on the air, which disciples many Christians without a church home, or those of you who've been wounded by the institutional church. You can join forces with A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at A Word from the Word at minister.com. That's A Word from the Word at minister.com. And friends, we'll be repeating this email address at the end of today's broadcast now back to sin being the reason for the season that well-known christmas carol oh holy night says it best doesn't it oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth You see, friends, the Christmas drama is made incomplete and rendered powerless unless both halves of the equation are understood and promoted. The historical truth and the spiritual or theological truth. Just listen to how the theological truth is intertwined in each installment in our Advent Christmas series. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, representing the historical truth, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. This represents the theological truth. Galatians 1.4 reminds us that Jesus came to rescue us from this present evil age by saying, The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is reiterated in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It's almost as if we could say that Christmas was a search and rescue operation conceived by God himself to redeem us sinners. Then Luke intertwines this theological truth in the familiar words of Luke 2.11, told to the shepherds by the announcing angel, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Remember now how the first century hearers would have heard the phrase, Christ the Lord, Messiah Yahweh. In other words, Messiah God. Then Matthew intertwines this theological truth in this well-known verse, Matthew one twenty-one, also announced by an angel, And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Remember, friends, the name Jesus means God saves. And lastly, the Gospel of John is written primarily from the perspective of the theological ramifications of the coming of Jesus into the world. First, listen to John chapter 1 where we read, "...the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world." And secondly, listen to John chapter 3, where we find these words of Jesus spoken to Nicodemus, "...very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again." This was followed by, "...very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again." Friends, the kingdom of God is here, working surreptitiously, that is, secretly, or here in a way that has avoided notice or attention. We could almost say that it's become by stealth, clandestinely or covertly. Yet, it's in full bloom alongside the kingdom of the world. Both exist side by side. That's why I believe Jesus could say to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God or enter it. Friends, Christmas not only signaled the season of newness, it signaled the kingdom of God coming nearer than it had ever been before. The kingdom coming in the first century was God's way of telling us that something new was brewing on planet earth. The kingdom coming was how God instituted his search and rescue operation by inviting sinners to become part of and enter the kingdom of God. Friends, the Gospel of John unequivocally presents God's universal invitation and challenges us who are onlookers of this great and wonderful Christmas drama to be born again, born again into the kingdom of God, and in so doing, relinquish the kingdom of the world. You see, friends, up till now, we've all been spectators, watching this drama unfold before our eyes, observing the responses of others, those who were the first recipients of the message throughout this series the challenge has been to bring the christmas stories lessons forward in time and apply them to our lives right here and right now in order to do that we must ensure that the theological half of the equation is not ripped away that's why john's gospel declares with boldness this is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Friends, amazingly, the message Christmas actually preaches is, you must be born again. After all, the Christmas carol, hark the herald angels sing, preaches this very message. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This same Christmas hymn then says, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Other Christmas carols reinforce this same message. Take, for instance, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which says, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. And born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Friends, the message of Christmas is to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, declares, Joy to the World, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, and there's several critical questions left. That I believe the Christmas event begs us to ask. Now that the Lord has come to earth, have we received him as our King? Now that the long expected Jesus has finally come, have we been set free from our fears and sins and been released from them and have found rest or peace in Jesus as our Savior? Since he was born to raise the sons and daughters of earth and born to give us second birth, have we genuinely been born again? Friends, just as Simeon declared over Jesus in the temple, my eyes have seen your salvation, God, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Have our eyes seen God's salvation? Have we seen the light of God's revelation in his son, Jesus Christ, born to deliver his people? Born a child and yet a king? Have we made Jesus king of our lives? Is he ruling and reigning in us? Some provocative questions to ponder, huh, friends? Well, today's broadcast will be closing out with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on today's program or any other programs you've listened to in this Advent Christmas series. I'd love to hear how a word from the word is impacting you or enlightening you. This email is also where you may get the details on how to become a support team member of A Word from the Word. Now that 2023 is just around the corner, please consider joining forces with me in sharing the gospel, discipling brothers and sisters who are without a church home, and even those of you who've been wounded by the institutional church. I love coming alongside all of you. And all podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Then scroll to A Word from the Word. You can also access this program on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves
0: you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the Word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.